My name is Tim, and I'm the lead pastor. But I want you to imagine it like this, because this is probably what would happen. If you were to ever call me and say, hey, Pastor Tim, can we talk? I've got something I'm trying to figure out. Then I would invite you to come to the office, and there's a, there's a round table in my office with chairs. And then there's, there's dry erase boards on the wall. And chances are we'd sit down at the table and talk. And I would listen for a little while. I don't do well at counseling because I don't listen for very long. Because I want to get to solutions. And so we would talk for a while, identify what the issue is, and then we'd come up with a solution. And chances are at some point I'd get up and go to one of the whiteboards and try to draw out what needs to happen. So that's what we're going to try today and see how this goes. Now we started yesterday, right? Or yesterday, last week. We talked last week about habits. We're in this season of Lent and it's the third Sunday of Lent. You're two and a half weeks in. If you're fasting, whew, we're getting there slowly, slowly. <laughs> it's, a, it's tough. But, um, and, and if you're not, praise God for you. I'm happy for you and glad for you. It is completely cool. But um, we are, we're into this. And we talked about this as a season to focus, right? A season to focus on God. To shift our attention from all the other things to him. We looked at, at Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and where he, where he tells us that, that we accomplish this transformation. We accomplish this becoming who we are created to be by fixing our eyes on Jesus. The, the author, the sustainer, the perfecter, if you will, depending on your translation, of our faith. And so this season is about focus. And we started, we talked about Isaiah you might remember, we talked about Isaiah who worshipped his way through his worst days. In Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, he went to the temple to worship his way through his struggle. And as he begins to worship his way through, he sees God high and lifted up. He's overcome with the reality of who he is. And he begins to set aside the things, the sin and the other stuff that get in the way of him becoming who he was made to be. And as that stuff is purged, as that stuff is cleansed, as that stuff is kind of burned from his soul, he hears God send him out. And then last week, we kind of began talking about habits. We said that in the first week, we need to, there are things we need to let go of to become what we were created to be. As we focus on him, he is, he is turning that light on us, allowing us to see ourselves so that we can become. But the trouble is trouble is that so many of us as Christians, we're living the same year over and over again, right? Like we started 2019, 145 million or so Americans made New Year's resolutions. They set goals, but only 8% of that 145 million were still living by those goals on Valentine's Day. Six weeks later, 92% of our goals had fallen to the wayside. And Christians are no different. We just happen to believe in a God who transforms everything about us. So it makes it kind of worse when we live the same year over and over again, untransformed. Right? Like, it's a horrible thing for us. When we live in our marriage the same way we did two years ago. When our spiritual life is the same kind of wishy-washy thing that it was five years ago. 
when our relationship with our kids is just as broken as it was six months ago, when we have as, as, little, as little sense of purpose today as we did when we were 18. And, and so many of us are just, we, we go through these cycles, come to a new year, we make some goals, Valentine's Day, we give up on them. Then we get to Lent, and it's a new focus, and I'm back on track, and we might make it 40 days. And, and we ask this question, why? Why do we live untransformed lives if we believe that in Christ we are new creations? That we have been set free from that which is dead, that which is unhelpful, that which has broken us. That it has been overcome, that the chains that bind us have been broken. And that if we are in Christ, we are really free. If we are free to become, if we are free to be transformed, if we are free to live into this life, why don't we? We kind of, we identified three reasons, three things that get in the way. We said that the, the, the first thing to get in the way is that we set goals, but we have no plan for accomplishing them. They say, well, I just want Jesus to change it. Can I tell you, nobody ever stumbled into a good relationship with Jesus? No more than you stumble into a good relationship with your spouse. It doesn't accidentally happen. You're not going to walk down the road and suddenly trip like, woo, me and Jesus, we're good. It takes some intentionality. One of the biblical writers called it working out your salvation. John Wesley, kind of our theological forefather, he called it responsible grace. Grace that gives us the ability to respond. Bonhoeffer, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, was a German pastor who tried to assassinate Hitler and then was killed in the, in the camps for it, right? So Bonhoeffer, he called this grace that expects God to just fix things for us, cheap grace and a big lie, right? Like we, grace is free, but it's not cheap. It is given to us, but it's given to us in the form of seeds that have to be developed, right? So he plants that seed in us. He gives us that grace. He gives us that faith. We set goals of what we want, and then we don't do anything with them. And the thing is that we will, uh, James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, he puts it this way. He says, you will always, always fall to the level of your systems, and never rise to the level of your goals. You can set goals, but you'll never rise to those. You'll fall to the level of your systems or your habits. Some of us say, well, I don't, I don't really have a system. That's your system. Right? We all have a system. Some of us intentionally and some of us accidentally. But we have a system. When this happens, I do this. When she says this, I make this remark then she does this, and it gets us, and this, and then we fight. That's your system. Did you like it? Not very good, is it? But we all have a system, and we're going to fall to the level of those systems and not rise to the level of our goals. The second thing we said is that we give up too early, right? Because we don't see progress. We ate a salad yesterday, sat on the scale today, and we're up two pounds. Salads don't work. That's what we decide. Salads don't work, right? I ate too much yesterday. I stepped on the scales down a pound. It doesn't matter what I eat, right? So we have, we, we have this tendency to look at small decisions and think they really don't add up to much. 
so they don't matter. And we just give up too early. Because we expect, we expect our lives to transform like this, right? We start making some good decisions and we expect it to immediately start to improve and improve and improve and improve consistently. But it doesn't work that way. You see, when we start to make good decisions, start to build some small habits, it has a tendency to go like this. Like that. And we give up like here. Because we don't see any difference. We give up way too early. It's like we, we set out to boil water and stop when it gets to 200 degrees because nothing's happening. It's like you could stop at 211 and it'll look like nothing's happening. You just wait one more minute. One more degree and you've got boiling water. It's all that latent potential that has to erupt and take time but we just give up too early the third thing that we have a tendency to do is allow distorted identities to sabotage our forward movement how we see ourselves i told you last week that for a long time i just saw myself as a heavier guy i'm a bigger guy i'm gonna be heavier just gonna be fluffy and that's gonna be the way it is And I'm just going to have to get used to it. And because that's how I saw myself, I didn't exercise and I didn't eat right. Which reinforced this distorted identity. Which then created the habit and reinforced the distorted identity. Until I changed how I saw myself, the habits didn't change and the identity didn't change. But it began when I saw myself differently. And so often we have these distorted identities sabotaging our forward movement. I gave you this example last week. I'll give it again. Say you want to stop smoking. And out of habit, you walk outside during break. Someone offers you a cigarette. And you respond, no thanks. I'm trying to what you've just said. You, what you've just said who's trying not to smoke. And your identity is still as a smoker. But you're trying not to. Inevitably, the trying not to will fail. Now, imagine a different scenario. You go outside because this habit still, and you're trying to change, but that's not changed yet. You get offered the cigarette. Instead of saying, no thanks, I'm trying to quit, you say, no thanks, I don't smoke. Do you see the difference? And it works in anything. When we, when we allow our identity to shift, no longer am I a smoker. I don't smoke. I used to. That used to be who I was. Used to be what I did. Used to be how I cope, but it's not who I am now. And that can be applied to how we eat, to how we spend money, to our faith, to whether or not we think we're a morning person. See, this is the way it works out. Here's what we say. This is just the way I am. This is just the way I am. And as long as it's just the way I am, nothing ever changes. And we look at Jesus, and he says, you don't have to be angry anymore. And we say, Jesus, this is just the way I am. We look at Jesus, and he says, my spirit in you makes you patient and kind and loving. And you say, no, Jesus, this is just the way I am. This is the way my face looks when it's resting. This is just the way I am. This is how I react. It's just the way I am, Jesus. 
He says, forgive as you've been forgiven. No, just, this is just the way I am. I hold grudges to you. Right? And we do this in all kinds of areas. And this is what gets in the way of us actually being transformed and why we cycle back to that same life we've been stuck in. Right? It's because of our distorted identity. We have to begin to see ourselves differently. New creations, set free, change broken, different people from the inside out. And that will allow us to begin to shape new habits that reinforce that identity. And so that's where we want to go today. Right? We want to talk about how to start good habits. And that's our big We want good habits. We want to get rid of bad habits. If we're going to allow a new system to move us forward. And so that's what we're going to do in the next couple of weeks. Today we're going to talk about how to start good habits that actually stick. And next week how to break those habits that have been with us so long we don't even remember where they started. So I want you to think for a minute about the last work day. Your last kind of normal day. Maybe you set an alarm, maybe you didn't, maybe you wake up without it. Alarm went off, chances are you hit snooze. Once, twice, three, four times, five. Got up late, oh no, yelled at the kids, let's get ready, ran out of the house without breakfast, doing makeup in the car, screech into the car line, drop the kids off, kick them out of the car. In fact, drive as fast as you can to work, get there just in time, maybe a minute late, two minutes, ten minutes, whatever. Didn't eat breakfast, starving, walk into the break room. There's donuts. Great. Sugar high, drops immediately, and you had the same conversations all day that you had the day before. Right? We're complaining about the same things. We're whining about the same things. The same things don't work. Fixing the same problems. Doing the same thing. Watching the clock. Waiting for 5 o'clock. Then we leave. Now, if you've decided that 4.58 is close enough to 5, then you leave at 4.58, and you do the same thing every day. Then you get home. You rush home probably, but get home, come in, identify five things, six things, 12 things that somebody else should have done by now, and then sit down. And you go through the rest of whatever routine you've created for that night. Maybe you work out, maybe you don't. Maybe you work out in the morning, maybe you don't. You did the same thing, I get, I bet, on the last normal day as you did on the normal day before that. Then you eat whatever you eat. Maybe you eat fast food, maybe you cook a meal, maybe you just skip dinner. I don't know. Then you veg out, Netflix, Amazon Prime, whatever works for you, until you're finally so dead that you fall asleep at the same time you did the night before just to do it all again. I hope none of that sounded too familiar, but probably so, because we're people. It's our life, and we want to be different, but we do the same thing over and over. In fact, there was a study done by Duke University in 2006, 40% of what we do in a day, we do out of habit. Most of what we do in a day, we don't make a conscious decision to do. We just do it because we did it the day before. There was a trigger and a reaction, a reward, and we do it. And it just happens over and over and over and over again. And so if we want life to be different, Right, like if you were sitting across the table in my office, I want my life to be different. I would tell you, don't set a goal. I would say you need a different system. 
That Jesus died to give us a whole different way of living in this world. A whole different way of being. A whole different way of dealing with conflict. A whole different way of being in relationship. A whole different way of solving problems. A whole different way of negotiating trouble. A whole different way of seeing our lives, our bodies, our souls, our minds, the people around us. He gave us a whole different way of being. And if you want to begin to follow him, it's not like going to church and reading your Bible. It's about a whole different way of living. And what we need is a new system. A new system. Because look, we, we all have the same goals. Chances are you have the exact same goals as the person beside you. Nobody, nobody says, I want to end up up to my eyeballs in debt when I retire. No. Well, I want to be comfortable. We all potentially say, we'll be debt-free. We might want to be generous. Maybe. We all have those same things. We all want to do well in whatever career or job we're doing. Right? We all, we all want to have a good, healthy marriage that makes us happy and makes the person we're with happy. Right? We all want that. If you're a believer, you want a strong relationship with Jesus. You want, you want your kids to want to come home after they move away. Right? Like we all want those same things. But we end up with these drastically different results from one another. It's, it's because we don't rise to the level of our goals. Right? We fall to the level of the system. We dream big. But over and over again, we never get off the ground. We're, we're dealing with the same struggles with our job and our boss as we were five years ago. We had the same argument with our spouse that started the year we got married. We never outgrow those triggers over and over again. We battle the same bold addiction, fears, insecurities in ourselves for decades. We can't remember what it was to sense God's presence, right? Like, like God, I prayed like last month, where are you? I need you today. Our life is just the sum total of all those small decisions and disciplines that we make that form our system that we live by. And we all live by systems, right? We all live by systems, whether we realize it or not. Some of us have intentionally designed the systems, and others of us stumbled into them. A system is just this. When this happens, I do this. When someone that works for me is late for work, I chew them out. That's how it works. When someone does what they're supposed to in the house, we praise them, right? When someone ticks me off, I'm going to yell. When someone cuts me off in traffic, I'm going to honk or not, or who knows what you said under your breath or out loud, your kids do. Right? When this happens, I do this. When I wake up, I do this. Right? When I start to get ready, you do it in the same order. You ever thought about this? You get dressed in the same order. Shirt, pants, socks, shoes, whatever else you wear. You put it on in the same order every day. Think about it. You probably never realized it. I bet you put your pants on the same exact way every single day. Because you created a system somewhere along the way that worked. And when it worked, you felt good. You did it again and again and again and again and again. And so we do these things just out of the system. But the successful people do consistently what the rest of us do occasionally. They have a system, right? Successful people. People with the marriage you want 
do consistently what the rest of us do once in a while. They're the ones who take the time and turn off the TV and have a conversation. They're the ones who sit across the table and have a meal. They're the ones who go on the dates. They're the ones who don't talk about doing it once in a while. They're the ones who have a system to make it happen. There was a few years ago where we wanted to be more intentional about dates. Our kids were very young. They couldn't watch themselves. So we found another couple and said, let's take turns. We'll watch your kids one month. You watch our kids the next month. We set up a system for getting the things that we wanted that would make us who we wanted to be, right? It's, a, it's about those systems. When the, the, the person who has the financial freedom you want, the person, who can, the, the person who is free to do what they want financially is not the one who's going shopping every week. They've got a system for saving, person who has the faith you want didn't fall into it. They have a system of daily small habits that shape who they are over time. The person who has kids that act like you want your kids to act like, it didn't happen by accident just because their kids are good, right? They work their tail off on a system from day one to this day to get there. There's a great example of this in Scripture. We mentioned him last week, but his name's Daniel. There's a, there's a book, Daniel, in the Old Testament. And we know Daniel best for the lion's den, right? Like he spent the night with the lions. God closed their mouths. He had the face to sit there among the lions and then walk out on the other side. Amazing example of, of faith. The question is, how did he end up there? Right? Like, how did he have that faith? Because he didn't just get it in the moment. He didn't like ignore God and pretend like God went there. He didn't go into, in, into the, the Babylonian Empire. He wasn't there under other Nebuchadnezzar and the kings. He didn't, he didn't get there, worship their gods, and then finally come to the lines. Like, oh, right, Israel, we have a God named Yahweh. Like, I'll call on him and this will be okay. He didn't do that. So how is it that he was able to get there? If we look in, in Daniel chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Or if you use your phone, whatever works for you. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3 says this about Daniel. It says, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At the whole kingdom. So here he was, a foreigner, he was promoted first among the 120 administrators, these leaders, the best of the best. And he rose to the top as the best of the very best, the top. There was something exceptional about him. We don't know if he just had this spirit of excellence or dedication, if he just showed leadership skills or what it was about him. But there was something so exceptional about him, the king himself wanted to put him over all the nation. So you can imagine how the other 119 leaders might have felt. When you start to do well, and people don't understand why, they're going to try to tear it down. They're going to try to find some excuse, some reason. If we get into verse 4, it says this. So at this, the administrators and the satraps, they tried to find some grounds for charges against Daniel. Let's take this dude out. He's at the top. It'll make room for us at the top. Let's get him out of here. So they looked for charges of his conduct in, in government affairs, but they, they weren't able to find anything. They could find no corruption in him, 
because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So here they were. They looked for something. They couldn't find anything to attack him with. His character was above board. His work was was top notch over and over again. There was this this discipline to his, his who he was. And they decide, if you keep reading, they decide there's only one way we can attack this guy. It's in the thing that's most important to him. We have to attack him with his God. And so they, they come up with this law and they convince the king. Look, just make a law that nobody can pray to anybody but you. For 30 days. Just for 30 days. That will show everybody's allegiance to you. They'll understand that you are the God here. You are the one. You're the man. And just make that rule. And so the king's like, hey, not bad. Shouldn't be a problem. Doesn't think much about it. Signs off on it. Then at verse 10, we see what makes Daniel stand out. It says this, Now when Daniel learned of the decree, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Listen, just as he had done before. Three times a day, just as he had done before. There was a habit at the very core, a small discipline to who Daniel was that didn't change no matter what. When he got up, he prayed. When he had lunch, he prayed. After dinner, he prayed. Every single day. It didn't matter if his work was done for the day. It didn't matter if the alarm went off. It didn't matter if he hit snooze. It didn't matter what he ate and how he felt. It didn't matter whether or not there was still anything left in that season on Netflix that you've been watching. It doesn't matter what's going on. He stopped three times a day. As he had done before. As he had been doing for years. So that even when this might cost him his life. It was so core to who he was that this was the system he fell back on. He thanked God. He trusted God. He spent time with God. He rooted himself in God. And because of that, he knew who he was. And he had the faith to sustain him no matter what. So at the very core of his identity... At the very core of this system of life that led to everything else is this little habit. This small daily practice. I am nothing to emulate. right? But anything good in my life as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a leader. Any of those things that have developed have not developed because of some big decision or learning. They've developed because of just little habits. Little small habits that have added up over time. Little small habits of of time spent individually with my kids. Little small habits of, of time together with my spouse. Little small habits of time in prayer. Little small habits of reading. Right? Like I didn't start out reading 50 plus books a year, but it's just a little habit of some time intentionally spent reading every day that grows. And, we, and, and, and it's always just these little things. And we underestimate what God would do with one small habit. 
that over time changes who we are, shapes who we are. Craig Rochelle tells the story of, of having started about 30 years ago with one small habit a year, right? One small habit a year. And that over 30 years, he's developed 20 habits. So there were years it didn't take. There were like five years he tried to start journaling, and it wasn't until he found what he does now that it finally worked. But it, it, it just one small habit at a time. He said 30 years ago, the first habit, the foundational habit that, is the, that sustains everything else, choosing to floss every day. He says every time he flosses, he reminds himself, I don't like to floss, but I do things I don't like because they're good for me, and I'm a disciplined person. It reminds him of who he is. For me, it's getting up early when the alarm goes off without hitting snooze. Like, there's not a snooze button on my alarm, and I don't like it at all. But when I get up early, it's the foundation for everything else. When I get up early and I put my contacts in to force my eyes open, and I take my medicine, I go downstairs, start the coffee, feed the cats, because they'll make me crazy if I don't. Then I come back with the coffee, and I sit down in the same chair, my Bible and a journal and my guide to prayer. And I read, and I spend some time in prayer, maybe journal some. And I close that up, and I go to the gym, and I come back, and I'm happy, and I feel good. I'm stiff and sore, but I feel good. I get ready. I get ready in time to sometimes make my kids breakfast, sometimes sit with them for breakfast, have a few minutes, right? Then I take them to school. And as soon as we pull into the parking lot of the school, we pray. And they get out of the car encouraged and ready for the day. I then drive to Middle Grounds, not just for coffee, but because I like their coffee and I like their people. And I sit and talk for a little while. And I leave there energized and ready for the work of the day and get to the office earlier than I have ever before. And I get there and I'm ready to work. And I'm, because I'm ready to work, I'm productive and I leave on time. And I go home and I have time to help prepare or be there while, while dinner is finished up and sit down and have dinner with our family and then go through the rest of the night of the routine. When I'm not in a good place, right, it all crumbles with that first habit. Because I don't have to have a snooze button to get up out of bed, go over to my alarm, and reset it for 10 minutes later and get back in bed. And I get that reinforced with a little bit of feel good from sleeping a minute. So it happens four or five times. And then I finally get up and I'm running late, so I rush down, feed the cats, drink coffee as fast as I can, maybe drink it on the way to the gym, read a verse, maybe. Struggling to get there, get late to the gym, late home, rush, don't see my kids, don't talk to my wife, don't make anybody breakfast, rush them to school, forget to pray when we pull into the parking lot, go to coffee because I think I need it to survive, don't talk to anybody though, and then get to the office late, frustrated, aggravated, disappointed, run through the day, unproductive and distracted, getting on social media way too much, getting distracted, doing, trying to multitask and really getting nothing done. And then, because I got nothing done, the last hour I'm trying to get everything done, and I leave a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour and a half late, got Anita upset with me, the kids have not seen me, they, I come home and say, Dad, we missed you. 
That's the worst thing to ever hear on a regular day. And then we get home. They've already eaten, or at least are halfway done eating. I might get a few minutes with them. We rush through the rest of the evening, and we plop down on the couch and don't want to talk. It's miserable. And all because of that one little habit. Now, I'm the only one who notices the first day I miss it. By about the third day, Anita notices. By about the fifth day, the kids notice. They don't know why, but they notice dad's not dead. About a week and a half, everybody in the office notices. About three weeks, everybody knows. They just don't know what it is. And it all hinges on that habit, that discipline, every single day. Charles Duhigg, in his book, The, uh, the Power of Habits, calls it the, the corner or the keystone habit. The keystone habit. That one habit. Craig Rochelle is flossing. Because that was so important to him, I've started flossing four days in a row. Ooh. I hate flossing. Probably should have started it 20 years ago, but I did. So here we go now. We do what we have to do. We need a system. It starts with a keystone habit. So last week, if you were here, I challenged you with one question. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Not what do you want to accomplish, what do you want to do, but who do you want to be? When we know who we want to be, we know what we need to do. But not until we know who we want to be, we know what we want to do. We're just grabbing at everything we think will make us feel good. Who do you want to be? So today, I have one more question. What's one small habit you need to start that will help you be who you want to be? One small habit. Let me show you how habits work. Trusty whiteboard. I told you eventually I would go to this thing. It always happens. It's inevitable. It's a habit. Come on, that was a little funny. All right. Habits, habits, habits. I also have a habit of writing in all capital letters. Um, Habits. Here's how habits work. First, there's a trigger. Right? Alarm goes off. Walk by the refrigerator. Wake up. Pull out of the, uh, or get into the car. Maybe the first thing you do is turn on the radio. There's a trigger. Walk into the office. The smell of coffee. Any number of things can be a trigger for you. When that trigger happens, there is an action. Right? This trigger creates the action. This action Whatever it may be, you walk by the refrigerator because it makes you feel good. You grab the cake from last night and finish it off. Hopefully it was just a very small sliver, but it might not have been, but that's the habit. And that habit, whew, it felt good, right? So you got a little reward and it reinforced it. So next time you walk by the refrigerator, you grab for something sweet again and it happens over and over and over again. It happens all kinds of ways. The alarm goes off. We hit snooze. We get a little dopamine drop of an extra seven minutes of sleep or nine. And then we do it again. And it keeps happening. Right? The dog has figured this out. He gets stuck at the door. It's his trigger. So he barks. You open the door. He does it again. They know how to get your attention. Right? Happens over again. Our kids start fighting with one another. It triggers an action. We yell. They stop fighting. It worked. Not a great solution long term, but it solved the problem right now and reinforced a habit that creates an identity as a yeller 
that you probably don't want long term. And this happens in good and bad ways. Every habit works this way. Alarm goes off, you get up. You get up, you feel good. You feel good, you get up, you put in your contacts, you hit your beds, you feel good. You get that coffee for a sip, life is back, you're ready to go. Feel good. Right? It, it, and it's just this habit over and over again. The middle of the day, you get tired, it's your trigger, you go for a cup of coffee. Or whatever you do, maybe you take a nap. That's a good thing to do. They say it actually makes you more productive. Every now and again I do it, but I always feel guilty, so it doesn't happen very often. Because the reward I get for taking a nap is feeling guilty. So I don't like that one. Do you see how it works the other way? Right? This is how all of our habits work. Every one of us have this system. And it's very, very simple. It's very, very simple. It, I'm going to try to write sideways. This is going to be horrible. When blank happens, I do blank. That's our system. Every single time. When blank happens, I do this. When I walk by the refrigerator, I grab a cup. When I walk by the refrigerator, I grab a beer. When I go outside, I make sure the dogs come in. I don't know. There's all kinds of triggers, right? When the alarm goes off, I hit snooze or I get up. When I feel good, I make a good decision. When I feel bad, I eat something to feel better. I spend something to feel better. Any number of things, right? So we, this is how all of, our, all of our habits work. So when we understand the, the kind of anatomy of a habit, we can figure out how to create them. And it's very simple. You just need to make it Obvious and easy to create a habit. You need to make the trigger obvious and the action easy so that the reward comes and reinforces the habit. And you do it again and again and again. Right? Trigger obvious, habit easy. For example, you want to be somebody who takes care of their health. You set the vitamins not in a drawer somewhere, not downstairs in the kitchen. You put them on the sink in the bathroom so that when you wake up, they're right there in your face and it's obvious and the next step is easy. Take the vitamin. You feel good about yourself because you made a healthy decision and it reinforces it again and again. Maybe you say, I want to read before bed. I want to I create this habit of being a reader. I want to read before bed. Don't leave the book in the nightstand or on the nightstand. Put it on your pillow. So it's obvious. The trigger is obvious. The next step is easy. Don't say, I'm going to read a chapter. I'm going to read one paragraph. Easy. Make it easy. Something you can do in two minutes or less. Because if you read one paragraph every day for 30 days, probably by day 31, you're going to read two paragraphs. And then you're going to read a page. And then maybe a year from now, you're reading uh, five pages. And then five years from now, you're sitting down, you're reading chapters every night. Because it's your reader now. It's your habit. But it has to start obvious, and then the action has to be easy. 
obvious and easy. When I get home, I put on my exercise shoes. When I get home, I put on my exercise shoes. I want to get healthy. Not I go for a run. Not I do a 30-minute workout. I put on my shoes. You start there. If you put on your shoes every day for 30 days, by that 30th day, you'll get up and go for a walk. But if you're going to say, I'm going to do a 30-minute walk every day, when you get home, most days you're not going to feel like a 30-minute walk or a 30-minute run or a 30-minute workout. And you're just not going to do it. Proof, the last year. Last year's resolution. Where is it? 92% of us. So there's like three of you. You kept it. Good for you. We don't like you. <laughs> it's it, it's got to be easy. Two minutes or less. Two minutes or less. So here's what you do. When the coffee is brewing, I'm going to read one verse. I'm going to open up you version. I'm going to read the verse of the day. One verse. That's all, that's all the habit is. You want to be in the word every day? One verse. Start with one verse. When the coffee's brewing, I'll read one verse. Before I look at Instagram, Facebook, whatever, one verse. Read one verse. You'll get curious, and eventually you'll read two. And then before you know it, you'll read a chapter. And then one day you'll read a whole book, and you'll think, where did this last hour go, and who am I? Because you create a habit, and you felt the reward of that habit over and over again. Right? It's simple. It's small. Start small with something you can do. You want to get healthy? Do When I get up, I'm going to do 10 push-ups. Can't do 10 push-ups? Do five. You can't do five? Do one. You can't do one? Get on the floor. Get back up. Do it once a day. Do something. (laughs) Right? Start somewhere. Start small. Do something. Right? Do something. And do something small. Make it obvious and make it easy. We try to make this too hard. We try to make this too hard. Right? We ask this question, who do you want to be? Like, and, and maybe you said something like that. I want, to, I, I want to be someone who cares. So you're going to write one note of appreciation to someone a day. But you need a trigger. And it needs to be easy. So you, you go and you buy some stationery. And you put it on the desk with a pen and stamps and envelopes. So it's right there in front of you and you see it. Maybe you put it on the coffee maker so you have to do it before you can make the coffee. If you're like me, you see a theme here of something that sustains you? I know, there's a problem. I want to be a person that's organized. I'm going to start by making my my bed when I get out of it every day. You make your bed every day, you tell yourself in that very first small action, I'm an organized person, right? You want to be a godly example to your teenager? Set up a version plan that you read together or read the daily verse together. You want to pray with your spouse? You know, I don't know, that's too scary, that's too intimate. Really, you can have sex, but you can't re- spray? Like, sorry, probably shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> came out of the moment. You would say you don't know how to pray together. Take her hand, take his hand, and thank God for one thing today. And do that every day. Thank you, God, for the bed we woke up in. Thank you, God, for our kids. Thank you, God, for our family. Thank you, God, for food. Thank you, God, that we had heat on this cold night and air conditioned in a warm afternoon. (laughs) 
Whatever it is. Just one sentence. Start small. Make it obvious. Make it easy. And lastly, make it about who, not what. I am naturally pretty dissatisfied with life as it is. Somehow, I am the self-appointed, fix-all-the-problems-in-the-world guy. At least all the problems that are my problems. In me, around me, I'm going to fix it. I feel this need to fix it. But most of the time, I set these goals that are kind of means goals instead of ends goals. What goals instead of who goals. Like, I'm going to make good grades so that I can get into a good school, so that I can get a good job, so I can provide for a family, so that, so that, so that, so that. That's how you know if it's a means goal. If you can add so that afterwards, then it's a means goal, right? I want to do this so that. And that that leaves us dissatisfied because happiness is deferred until we get to so that, right? I'm going to do this so that. Well, we can't be happy until we get that. At least we can't be satisfied. But when we shift to ends goals... Ends goals are always about who, who we want to be, right? Like who God created us to be. And maybe the most important end goal we can make is to be close to him. But when we make those kind of goals, we find joy in doing the right thing today. So I floss last night. I floss every night now, four nights in a row. That qualifies every night. It doesn't change my dental health in one bit that I floss one night or four nights. But I felt good. I felt successful. I felt happy because I did the one thing that I needed to do. I can find the joy in the becoming when it's about who instead of what. I find joy in the life that I'm given. I find joy in what God is doing right now. And I'm not constantly waiting for someday out there, for something out there to make me happy to feel satisfied, to know joy. I can embrace it now. we got to learn to do what Zechariah says in Zechariah 4.10. Don't despise small beginnings because it just takes a while to see things change. It takes a while, and you got to stick with it. But you, the easiest way to stick with it, make it obvious, make it easy. Then it doesn't require a lot of self-discipline. The most self-disciplined people among us are the ones who have designed their life not to need much self-discipline. So you look at them and they think, oh, they never eat bad. Well, they just decided, I never eat sugar. So it's not an option to them. They're not spending every breakfast trying to figure out whether or not they're going to eat the sugary cereal, right, or the granola. They've already decided who they are. They're not trying to decide what they're going to do on break, whether they're going to go smoke or not. They've already decided, this is who I am. They wake up, not trying to decide whether or not I have time to spend with God. They're people who spend time with God. It's who they are. They've eliminated the question, eliminated the decision. And it's all in the small things. It all starts with things like flossing, refusing to hit snooze. Just something little, one verse at a time, one page at a time. Going to bed at the same time. Whatever it is. So who do you want to be? And what's one habit? 
one small habit you can start today to move you in that direction. Here's the good news. We don't have to do it in our own strength. Philippians 4.13, he is in us so that we can will and do what pleases him. He's in us. He gives us the strength. He gives us the faith. He gives us the courage. So we have like three questions here at Hydrant. You're probably tired of hearing them by now, and that's okay. We're going to keep saying them. What's God asking you to do? Do you have the courage to do it? And how can we help? I feel like the best way I can help today is to help us understand it just starts so small in a two-minute habit. Imagine you guys, 11, 12 years old, you start one habit. When you're my age, which is just old, we'll say, you'll have 27 habits accumulated. If you just start with one small little habit and say one habit a year, not like one habit a month. Where would you be in 10 years with 10 new habits? Not like, I'm going to do 10 habits right now. I need to fix my health. I need to fix my spiritual life. I need to fix my finance. Just pick one. Just do one thing, one small habit this year and see what unfolds. And where might you be in 10 years? Where might God take you? How might your life actually be transformed? How might you be set free? A new creation. Chains broken with one tiny habit at a time. So what's he asking you to do? And he'll help. He'll help. So during Lent, we stop at the end of our time together each week to come to the table. That we might be sustained by his spirit and his strength. That we might be reminded of all that he died for us to be. And how we might be transformed by his grace, his body broken for us, his blood spilt for us, not only to give us strength now to preserve us into life everlasting. And we lean into his presence. The good news is that this is his table, not mine, not Hydrant Churches, not our tribe or denomination, none of that. This is, belongs to Jesus. He said, everybody who would come to me, everybody who would receive my grace, you're welcome. But it's a responsible grace. It always invites us to respond with faith. Our faith is enacted in little things. So as you come, and as you wait in that line, and as you break that bread and dip it in the cup and eat it, would you think and pray and ask, God, what one thing do I need to start today to be who you made me to be? Who you want me to be? Who you're inviting me to be? who I could be? Would you show me just one small thing I can do starting today?